Hello, everyone. This is Skip Stewart, Vice President and Chief Improvement Officer with Baptist Memorial Healthcare. And this is another episode of Connecting the Dots podcast. Hey, everybody. I'm H.F. Mason. I'm a general surgeon and chief medical officer at Baptist Memorial Hospital, DeSoto. And hey, everyone. I'm Jake Lancaster. I'm an internal medicine physician and the chief medical information officer for the Baptist system. Today, we are so incredibly excited. We have CEO and President Timothy Pearson from Integris Health uh, joining us today. Welcome, Timothy, and please tell us a little bit about Integris Health and uh, what is the scope and the work uh, that y'all are focused on? Yeah, so Integris Health is the largest health system in the state. Uh, we have 18 hospitals, a little over 10,000 caregivers, about 700 employed providers. We've got a clinically integrated network of about 1,400 physicians, manage about 50,000 lives in some sort of a risk arrangement or so. Or, or so. Um, and a $2.3 billion health system. We're, uh, we're delighted to, to serve Oklahomans. Our, uh, we are a community-based, not-for-profit health system that uh, has very high-end services and very basic primary care services. So we we try to partner with people to live healthier lives. That's our mission, and uh, we're focused uh, on being the most trusted partner for health for uh, the people of Oklahoma. Thanks a lot, Tim. And once again, thank you. Thank you very much for being here. And one thing I'd like to know is that that prior to uh, prior to coming to going to Oklahoma, you were with Intermountain in in Utah, but. Tell us a little bit about your story, how you got into continuous improvement. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Yeah, so I, I spent um, 18 years with, with Intermount Healthcare in various uh, senior level roles. Um, uh, I left as the CEO of the North Region, uh, which uh, had kind of Metro Salt Lake up north into Idaho. Saw the hospital's health, um, health plan relationships and uh, physician relationships. And then I was also uh, simultaneously the vice president of continuous improvement, um, uh, which was uh, Intermountain's approach to uh, continuously improving the efforts. Now, Intermountain had a long history of improvement well before I got there. You all know Dr. Brent James, who really pioneered uh, thinking, particularly for physicians and clinicians to get involved in improvement projects and thinking about using evidence-based care to drive better better healthcare. So I clearly, you know, stood on his shoulders and learned a lot from him. And, And he plowed a lot of ground. So some of the stuff that I would have had to have done in the organization had been done. But what we didn't have is we didn't have an operating model that that brought the day-to-day practice of um, how you do continuous improvement um, in all that you're doing, right? Not just a single project for a physician or a a clinician or an administrative person. So um, uh, so I I got to be one of the founding uh, fathers of, of that. In fact, Dr. Matt Pollard, who you've had on this program and you have a great partnership with him, he was an ER doc at one of the hospitals that I was responsible for, and um, I actually took him up on uh, the visit to Seattle Children's and Virginia Mason, and and sparked a light in him. And from there, it was just you know giving him additional responsibilities. And so it's great to see his success. I'm I'm really proud of him. He's a super 
terrific guy and a great advocate for improvement, particularly uh, improvement with physicians. But the way it all started for me is I uh, I was responsible for a, a market area and uh, one of the the employers was AutoLeave, which was you know a large worldwide manufacturer of airbags, and they happened to be in our neighborhood, and they are as I come to find out, really steeped in lean and lean thinking and the Toyota production model. And so I, I was talking to one of my um, management engineers and he's like, hey, we got to go down there and, and check them out. And it'll be good for you to shake hands with the people there because you know, they, they have our health plan. And so you need that relationship. So I thought, OK, I'll, I'll take some time to go down there. No ex- expectation that it would like completely transform my thinking. And uh, when I got there, I'm like, oh, my goodness, this is incredible. I've got to find a way to bring this in healthcare. This was back in 2006 where there were very few people in healthcare doing this, right? Sure. And uh, so I just was blown away. And I came back to my people and I'm like, we have to do that. So we started some small scale pilots, kind of messed around with some things and saw some great success in non-clinical areas. Then we got bold and we tried those in some clinical areas, saw the same successes. And we, at that point, we said, we've got to create a management system around this so that it can be part of the way we do our work. And um, we rolled out a management system across our entire region and uh, really then started to see amazing results just up and down the ladder. Uh, and uh, at some point, I realized I was well beyond my skill and abilities, and uh, we formed a relationship with with uh, AutoLeave uh, to provide learning and training for us. And so I got to know Scott Saxton really well. He was their key uh, continuous improvement guy there. And and so uh, one of the, my chief strategy officer, who was the guy who was helping me with it um, on the side, said, hey, let's go take Scott to lunch and convince him to come work in healthcare. <laughs> ah. So, so we brought Scott in, he came and, uh, and then that just started the flywheel even more. We deepened our model. We continue to see amazing results. And then, um, you know, one day I was meeting with my boss who was the CEO, COO, of the, the health system, Laura Kaiser was now at, actually the CEO at SSM. And uh, and she said, hey, why are you guys always like the top this, top that, you know, in the country? And so, I don't know, we're just doing continuous improvement. We're not trying to get any of those rewards. And she's like, no, no, I know I know you're doing continuous improvement. Well, what are you specifically doing? I said, we're just, we're doing continuous improvement. <laughs> so she said, okay, you have to do that for the entire system. I said, I'm only going to do that for the entire system if I can continue to be the CEO of the region because I, I've got to be able to have a, a laboratory to play with this stuff and, mm. and learn. So um, that became the genesis of the Intermountain Operating Model. I brought in an amazing leader who, if you haven't had into this program, you need to. His name is Brian Crowell. Brian Crowell was actually kind of the architect of that at, um, at uh, um, AutoLeave. Um, and he, he's terrific. He, he, so he came, I convinced him to come work for me for three years while I was there, the last three years that I was there. And, uh, he was amazing and, and just did some great things together, uh, but created the Intermountain Operating Model. And then I came here and, uh, said, Hey, this is the way we're going to do it. And, you know, we've got an operating model that looks very similar to the Integris Health or the, uh, 
the Intermountain Operating Model. We call it the Integris Health Way, uh, but it works. I mean, we've seen significant improvements. Uh, for example, in serious safety events, we've reduced serious safety events by uh, 42, 44%, something like that. Over the course of the three years, we've, uh, we've we have idea idea boards, huddle boards, and huddles happening everywhere across the system. You know, 700 of those across the system every single day. We have daily tiered escalation huddle where we're seeing and learning about safety issues every single day. The flow up all the way to me every day, hmm. um, and uh, we uh, have an operating system that helps drive this culture of continuous improvement with our leaders. We've implemented, last year during the pandemic, we implemented 8,600 ideas, which I, I was blown away with because, you know, it was in the middle of this uh, pandemic and and things were really rolling. Uh, you know, since the start of doing ideas, we've implemented almost 20,000 ideas as a, as a system. So um, there's a lot of really good stuff going on. We're still um, not, as mature as I'd like us to be. I said that when I was at Intermountain too. Um, but, you know, it's it's really been a fun journey and we're seeing a lot of successes, so. Tell, tell us a little bit more about that transition. Um, I mean, you make it seem like it was very, very easy to take the, to take your continuous improvement system from Intermountain and just plop it down at Integris. But I imagine it was, unless you kind of had that groundwork uh, ready, it was difficult to to convince everybody if they weren't already on board with with you know that mission. So can you tell us about how how um, you were able to I guess uh, develop it at Integris and, and did you do it the exact same way it was built at at Intermountain or did you change some things? Jake, you stole my well, question, but go ahead, Tim. Yeah, I was just going to say you know it's interesting because so at Intermountain it was a complete fumble and bump, right? Because nobody had ever done this across the country. It just, it wasn't like Virginia Mason was doing pockets of it. You know, Denver Children's is doing pockets of it. Seattle Children's is doing, like, so we had some good examples, state of care. We visited all those, but nobody was really doing it. There was lots of industry, other industries doing it. So it was just a learn by doing type of a thing at Intermountain. But eventually it became hardened into a very nice operating model. So one of the things that I tell people um, and I've I've done keynote speakers. There was a theory in healthcare lean circles where you need to go uh, an, an an inch wide and a mile deep. And I think that's just absolutely crazy. If you want to change people's mindset, you have to go a mile wide and as deep as you can go, and create a model that allows you oh, that's very simple when you look at it at first, but also is very complex as you be, begin to mature into it. And so like the number one thing you have to do is to, to create an operating model that you can train, teach, and then have a handful of things that you can do. Like, you know, huddles, huddle boards, idea systems, daily tiered escalation huddles. There's a handful of things that will really start the fi- flywheel of improvement that make a big difference. So. You know, at Intermountain, when I when I was first asked to do this across the system, it wasn't the desire of the then CEO, Dr. Charles Sorensen, to make it a requirement of the way we did work. He said, "Hey, I want you to, I want you to convince people to want to do it." So I had to go out and just build it with other people, but build you know build coalitions of support. 
then when Dr. Harrison got there, he's like, hey, why aren't we doing this everywhere? And I said, well, it's up to you because the CEO or the COO, the key leaders at the top, have to signal that this is the way you're going to do the work. Once you do that, I mean, it's everywhere. So when, when Dr. Harrison, just, I mean, he didn't know much about this stuff. He's just like, he was so humble. He said, Tim, teach me. What do I say? What do you want me to do? Because I believe in it. And then he was awesome. I mean, he's so smart anyways. And he just took it and it, it just went everywhere. And now, I mean, like I talk to people all the time. They're like, it's still everywhere, Tim. Like it wasn't just you. It was, you you know, it was really baking this into the way we were doing it. Well, the reason is because it's the CEO or the CEO or the significant leader saying, this is what we're doing. So when I came to Integris Health, you know, you, you read all the books, you have 90 days, 100 days, whatever, come in, just listen, don't do anything. And I got to about day 60. I'm like, I can't stand this any longer. <laughs> we cannot see safety across the system. We have to do daily tiered escalation huddles. I'm sorry. I know I'm not supposed to do anything. I've got another 30 days, but like we're doing it. So we did it and we immediately saw significant benefits, which then made it easier for me when I got to the you know, 90, 100 day mark to say, okay, here is the Integris Health way operating system and here's how we're going to implement it and then we had a handful of accelerants that i'd used there and i i had a between um uh intermountain and here where i actually did a lot of consulting at several health systems and actually uh manufacturers in teaching how to do this and so i kind of knew how to do it i really refined even my thinking further so it was it actually was very, it was very natural. And obviously, again, when you're the CEO, you have the ability to set the tone. And then obviously people have to, it has to work for people. And if it works for people, you know, it's kind of a, a slam dunk. Now there's a, a process of learning the language. And I mean, we do things, you know, we do things like we call a strategy review, which we look at the strategies and I require everything to be put in a strategic A3 that uses, you know, PDSA thinking, that's just not natural for people. And they felt awkward, like they didn't know what they were doing. I'm like, I don't care if you don't know what you're doing, you will learn what you're doing. Just put it in this framework. I promise it'll come. <laughs> Eventually they just started like, oh yeah, okay, this makes sense. I see how this all works together, but it just takes time, right? So, so the key is senior leaders, wide as you can, and then rock and roll. And the great thing is, is if you have a really good operating model, it is both fractile and scalable, meaning if I'm an ER director and nobody in my system does continuous improvement, I can do continuous improvement in my ER. Or if I'm a physician, I can do continuous improvement where I am. But it will only go, you know, it, it'll only go as far as it can go within the sphere of your influence. But scalable, meaning you can do this and do it well and do it across the system. I mean, it's uh, it's pretty it's pretty fabulous. You, you mentioned physicians, and, and I think, you know, as physicians, Jake and I can, we, we will admit that sometimes we are the biggest obstacle when it comes to implementing lean thinking and continuous improvement. And I was just, I, I want to know, when you came to Oklahoma, how do you as a CEO, how do you engage the physicians who are busy how do you engage them to 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 get involved in this to to 
to take time out of their busy schedules to uh, to get involved in the continuous improvement process. Yeah, so I'll go back. I'll answer that, but I'm going to go back to Intermountain and kind of tell you my, my how my thinking evolved. So when we were fumbling and bumping, the last thing I wanted to do is see have a physician see that I was fumbling and bumping because I didn't know what the just just by nature of what, the way you guys work, you sort of get you know turned off if if somebody's sort of trying to figure things out. So I didn't even involve physicians in the continuous improvement stuff until 2012. So I told you I. I went to uh, auto leave in 2006. The system across the region was implemented in 2009. So this was three years after this had been implemented across the entire system. That doesn't mean that we didn't involve them in improvement projects, but in terms of like total involvement. But once I felt that we were involved, that's when I'm like, okay, I got to get a couple of key physicians to come and take a look because I know at their heart, A, they're scientists, they understand the scientific method, and they'll love this because they want to do better things for their patients. I just have to help them see that they'll love it. And the, the beauty was is that when Matt saw this, he was able then to take this and put it into some language that physicians would appreciate, like um, stop light reports. He's probably shared that with you where you start. I want you to stop this. I want you to start this, you know, whatever that is. Uh, mm-hmm. And and that blossomed into a couple other key things that would get physicians involved to the point where we got all the physicians the MECs then were now coming with projects that they would be working on. It was just awesome. The flywheel. So I've, I've always been a believer that it's a, you know, I'm, I'm nervous. If you don't have a good operating model, I'd figure out what it is before significant deep involvement with physicians. Cause you might just turn them off and that's the last thing you want to do. Sure. Integris Health, I had a pretty good model, um, but I also had to try and get everything and figure out the whole system too at the same time. So I was a little bit cautious and didn't have a you know clear identified leader. But in the last six months or so, we've identified an amazing leader in Dr. Chelsea Gilbertson, and she is just doing the same thing like Matt Pollard did, grasping onto it, now just taking it and building upon it. And we're building more physicians involvement um, and so that's excellent way the other thing that i found too is like uh, the thing that intermountain did really well through brent james was teach the advanced training course the atp uh, advanced training program for physicians and that was awesome because it introduced them to the theory of continuous improvement it fell short and that it didn't give them an operating system then to go actually make it happen day to day but it really got physicians interested in this. So, you know, the other places is that I started a year ago doing what I call clinical programs, which is, you know, what Intermountain did, what we did at Intermountain, but identifying physician uh, 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 dyadic leaders with business partners that we could start asking them to focus on driving evidence-based practice and just creating standards. So that mm-hmm. also is very interesting, I found, to physicians because it's really in their swim lane. It's exactly what they're doing. So if, when we can, when they can help design how to do things better, uh, super successful in seeing uh, a lot of really good things here at Integris Health as I did at Intermountain with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought it was really interesting that you said you made it 60 days in before you you had to stand up kind of the, the safety huddles and then safety program. When you were, when you're, when you decided after 90 days, I guess to to implement everything, 
how did you go about doing that? What's what things did you start with first? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, well, so first I introduced the entire operating model or the operating system called the Integris Health Way which has six key systems, strategy deployment, which is just what it means to be successful, visualization, which is how do we know we're successful, daily improvement, which is just answering the question of what we're doing today to be successful, loop closure is our fourth system, you know, it's how do we create and sustain a culture of improvement, fifth is problem solving and innovation, which is how do we approach problems and innovate, and then the sixth is what we can uh, do to learn from others, best practice sharing. And so I introduced that system, shared on a very high level what the subsystems were of those, and then said, okay, we are going to do a handful of things. Number one, every area is going to have a huddle board. And we'd gone through a process to identify uh, it through strategy deployment to identify what areas would be our focus so safety, quality, experience, access, affordability, you know, engaged caregivers, smart growth. Those were the, the you know, our pillars of trust is what we call them. But those were the pillars or the folk buckets of areas that we would come up with measurements that people, any frontline caregiver could understand how to improve in those areas. And then we just asked them to put the huddle boards up with relevant in those swim lanes kept it very generic we didn't say here's the actual kpis you have to have we just said here's the pillars you have to have here's some thoughts about kpis but we want you to make it relevant to yourself these have to be everywhere we expect everybody to huddle every single day every single shift around these you have to have idea boards you can make them as simple or as complex as you want we didn't you know we provided a little bit of guidance you know to do uh, idea to do doing done four quadrant type of simple thing we put together an idea tracker and said people had to track where those ideas were and what and if they completed them and then we um, uh, used a couple of loop closure subsystems like uh, ops reviews strategy reviews worksite reviews that made sure that we knew that the stuff that we had actually just done was being was actually happening so that we could see as leaders that it was happening those handful of things are uh, what we did. And then over time, as we build our capabilities, we just keep introducing deeper concepts in each of those uh, six systems. And, uh, and you know, I will say Integris Health, before my getting here, had done some lean, but it was really, um, it's kind of project focus, and they had what they called data walls, um, but they weren't measures that people were just looking at on a regular basis and talking about how they can improve. So everything that we tried to do when we made this pivot was, this has to be usable to the people. You know, if we're gonna ask a physician to huddle, they better be seeing things that are meaningful to them, mm. or they're not gonna stay engaged, right? Or a caregiver or a housekeeper. I mean, it's the way it is for everybody. So that was the difference and that, so there was some general understanding that, that helped, but I'll tell you, I mean, I couldn't believe, I was so impressed within four months going out and doing these worksite reviews where I'd actually go with the leader and see what they're doing. I couldn't believe how um, aligned we were as an organization. Like I knew our strategy 
deployment efforts would help align us, but like I, I wouldn't have imagined that we would have been so aligned without me providing more details of, okay, here's what you need to do other than saying, here's what here's quality or, you know, here's safety. It's zero harm. It means zero harm to patients and, ca and caregivers. You guys figure out what the KPIs are there. They came up with some awesome KPIs. I didn't even have to, you know, say, all right, we need to want this, this, and this. So um, people are smart. I mean, that's one thing that I love about this is that people are super smart and they, they just want it. They actually, people want to come and do a good job. If you give them a framework to do it, they will, they'll rock and roll. Sure. Well, it sounds like three years ago, is that when you came three years yeah. ago? Yeah. Three years ago, you, you hit the ground running, getting everything implemented, and then boom, here comes March of 2020 with COVID. And, and, and tell us a little bit about how COVID has affected, you know, you still implementing the uh, the the system the improvement system that you want. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So I mean, we obviously were like everybody. Our breath was taken away. A couple of months where it looked like the whole the whole sky was falling, and uh, and then we kind of regrouped. Although I will say that the daily tiered escalation huddles were awesome during that because it allowed us to kind of quickly react a lot better than ever. But it allowed us to kind of step back, take a deep breath and go, okay, COVID's probably gonna be here for a long time. We've got a lot that we're gonna to have to do. We're gonna to have to do it. We've got this improvement system that's gonna help us. So we're gonna to continue to leverage it, but we're going to stay focused on our strategies and what we're trying to do, whatever it is, we're not gonna say, okay, well, you know, implementing ideas isn't important or, uh, achieving financial savings is not important or improving quality and safety is not important. We said all these things still are in play and the operating system helped us stay exceptionally focused on it. So when we the context changed, but the but the way y'all yeah, were gonna yeah, do things exactly. did exactly. So like I mean we um a part of our part of our strategies that we had outlined had changes in mission, vision, a organizational structure, um, you know, multiple different things that were going to be hard. We did them all while in the pandemic because we were able to stay focused on this and still accomplish the things that we needed to do for the pandemic. And I think we're better off. We're stronger. We've come out. Uh, of the pandemic, um, you know, not reeling, but but I think thriving and with a focus to, you know, working and continuing to improve. So it's been, um, you know, it's been a terrible thing. The pandemic's hard and thank goodness for you hero physicians and nurses and techs and so forth who have, you know, been the, the, the ones who have saved people and so forth. But, uh, I'm I'm just impressed with uh, with how we've been able to keep moving forward in this and and uh, we're tired people are tired people are grouchy we got the same staffing problems that are everywhere else that hasn't changed that but I think it's caused us to be very nimble and have the tools that we need to to be successful in a pandemic or out of a pandemic. Sure. 
Yeah, you know, we've definitely felt the the fatigue here as well. And and one of the things that we've we've heard and seen from other places and internally some is with that fatigue, there's less of a willingness to engage kind of in um, some of these improvement activities. Have you all found that as well or, or have you all been able to overcome it? You know, um, yes. I mean, I, I would say yes on one hand. On the other hand, like I said, we implemented 8,500 ideas last year. We had $100 million of you know realized savings that came from improvement work across the entire enterprise. Uh, so, yeah, people are tired. I mean, we, we implemented several uh, clinical uh, standardized approaches to, to the way we do care. Um, and we did that in the past. So, yes, people were tired and we and we probably could have done way more, but we still accomplished a lot um, even during the pandemic. So um, it's been distracting, uh, but we've tried to keep pressing forward. Yeah, we, we've talked about we talked several times on the podcast. We talked about we hope we don't forget, you know, how we were during the pandemic because we, you know, we had a daily cadence of meeting incident command and, and, you know, it sounds like you guys who you guys were used to those daily huddles. Uh, so it was just, I mean, it was, it was a lot easier for you guys. And, and I, like I said, I hope we don't forget all the things that we were able to get done during the right. pandemic when we, when we come out of this and, and get back to our, uh, hopefully our normal lives. Same. Well, Tim, let me, uh, I know we're kind of coming to the end of our time. Let me ask one question that's kind of burning in my mind. Um, you know, I've heard about the great work of the idea system going on at Intermountain. Dr. Pollard has shared that with us, especially how there's been a, an intentional effort to put some of that effort towards the physician to give them a voice, to allow them to share their ideas, regardless of how small or how big they might be. And we have an idea generation uh, process that's part of our Baptist management system, but it's still, I would call it in, in its infant stage. But um, tell me a little more about your idea system. Does it put a, does it give a voice to both physician and all the clinicians? Um, and how easy is it for them to share their ideas? And I'm, I'm going to guess that there's probably some kind of an escalation process where some ideas can just be implemented where others might have to be escalated to be reviewed. If you give us like a, a brief yeah. overview as we bring the podcast to a close. Yeah. So um, great question. The idea systems are, so every work area across Integris Health has an idea board with yellow cards I think I might have stolen the idea that the yellow cards from Thetacare or something. I can't remember one of those visits a long, long time ago. But they, the yellow cards, they have the same kinds of elements that I've been uh, working on uh, for a number of years. But And they're usually just a four-quadrant area. So a physician can come put an idea on it. Uh, anybody, you know, anybody can put an idea on it. The key is that you have then a process where the team regularly gets together to talk about the ideas that are there and to keep them progressing. And they're and it's tactile, right? So there's a, often a desire to put stuff online, but people just, I don't find people get engaged when they're not tactile with things. So the idea card is tactile, it's assigned to somebody, 
And the great thing is, is if it can't be implemented for one reason or another, there's a direct conversation. Hey, I loved your ideas. Thank you so much. Here's a couple of constraints. If you can get over those constraints, if you can reframe this question, come back with a you know a different approach. Let's see if we can make this work. Then you take that, you know, oh, my people don't listen to me to, hey, they really did listen. There's some constraints. So how can I kind of figure my way around that? So it's a great tool for leaders and teams and physicians to be involved in 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 doing that. Um, the uh, the way the other thing that we've done is we've put uh, we've put it in a tracker that talks about the idea and, and kind of categorizes the ideas and if it's in safety or quality or whatever. And I actually did this originally at Intermountain. I was thinking, oh, we'll create this big wiki and people will go out and look for ideas like, what's an idea about gloves? And they never did. They never went and looked. Everybody wants to go recreate the wheel, which is okay. Um, but the key is, is that you can track it, right? And then you can say, as teams get more mature, hey, you know, why don't you start asking yourselves about the the team as you collaborate about specific problems for your area. Like, hey, why is the flow of X, Y, and Z not working? All right, I want, you know, want as many ideas as we can this week on this specific thing. And then people will start going out and looking and saying, well, maybe another area got that. Now, obviously that sounds counterintuitive to my six system, which is best practice sharing, which clearly you need to do, but I found that that has to be, that best practice sharing needs to be done through a number of ways. Organically, by doing these worksite reviews, I go to one area and then I go to another hospital and say, hey, you should see what Sally's doing. It's really amazing. Or it can be very formal, like, hey, there's these seven improvement projects. We're going to heat map them on which is the most important in terms of the value that comes to the patient or whatever criteria that you put together. And then you intentionally move that across. But for ideas, they're really meant to just create a culture of Hey, we can we can be nimble. We can think on our feet. Everybody's a problem solver. You know, daily improvement is ex the expectation of everybody. And then you can celebrate them. Like every week or two, there's an idea that's highlighted with pictures of caregivers in an email that goes to everybody. You know, you can celebrate them in a huddle. Hey, John, good job on that idea. Way to go. High. I mean, it just starts to create this flywheel of culture that you want to build more important than the actual idea now there are some ideas that bubble up that are awesome that you just take everywhere else and those just happen naturally but most of these are like hey the emesis bag needs to be to the left because the patient's on the right and i need to be able to grab so, okay do it you know absolutely do it and that that makes that's empowering to people like they go hey people really care about it and then the last thing i'd say is for a leader i used to dread going out and doing the rounds. You know, Studer would say, go out and do rounds. And I'd go out, I'd have a list of all the things that people told me that needed, that were wrong, that I'd have to like, okay, I got to follow up with Sally and Bob and Phil, and I need to make sure emails go out to their leaders. And I was completely robbing the leader and the individual of the opportunity to solve a problem. And now, like, I love going out on rounds because when people, I say, hey, tell me what's going well, what's not, what, what are you thinking about? And they say, oh, I got, da, 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 needs to be improved. And I said, wow, that's a great idea. Have you put that on an idea card? No. I walk over to the idea board, rip off a card, hand it to them, like, put that on. That's awesome. I know I the idea that you said, but when I come back around in a month or two, 
just pull me in and show me your progress on this because this will be awesome. All of a sudden, I don't have to go do emails. I don't have to talk to their person. They feel empowered. They're excited. They get recognized. And there's a way in accountability system for them to be involved. Again, it's, it's about the culture of improvement. Then when you start saying, hey, we need to solve more complex problems than just these. I have a group of people that love solving problems and want to get engaged in you know, a more deeper, lean, Six Sigma type of problem solve that we can teach them at the point of that rapid improvement cycle, and they can be a significant uh, benefit to us. So idea systems are awesome. Uh, you, you can't can't do them without. Well, Tim, this has been awesome. Uh, just talking to you, hearing your passion, your leadership. Uh, I'm just so uh, thankful for you, and I'm sure Integris Health is also thankful for you. On behalf of Baptist Memorial Healthcare, I just want to say a big thank you. And maybe when this pandemic is over, I would love to have the opportunity to come and they, and you know come look at Integris Health and the great work you're doing. So yeah. thank you once again for coming today. Well, thank you. I'd love to have you there, have you out here, and we'd love to come learn from you. We we are a learning organization. So thank you for your efforts to to bring light to these important topics. You're on mute, eh, Jeff? Oh, I said I have to ask one more question. I said, are you uh and it's kind of loaded. Have you embraced the thunder? Or are you still loyal to the jazz? <laughs> well, you know, the thunder weren't very good last year, so it was easy to not pay attention. Uh, and the jazz looked like they were good, and apparently they weren't that good. So um, I, uh, I, cheer, I always, when I was interviewed for the job, I was coming from Utah, and, and Oklahoma Thunder was playing the jazz in the first round of the playoffs when I was and the first question I got from the board is, who are you cheering for? And I said, <laughs> and oh, man. It was the, the home team. <laughs> Good answer. But, yeah, no, I, I cheer for the Thunder. I cheer for the Jazz. I cheer for, uh, you know, my alma maters and my in my university. And I also, you know, love OU and, and OSU. So uh, I, I can be pretty ambidextrous. <laughs> well, Tim, well thank, uh, thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, we really enjoyed it. All right, take care.